Okay, welcome everybody to our third episode of the Shiny Developer Series and this joint webinar with our studio community. I want to especially thank everybody tuning in around the world and for those that have given us great feedback on the previous episodes. And today we are very excited to be joined um, by our special guest, Mark Edmondson, and we're going to be talking about his Google Analytics R package and how he's been approaching linking Shiny to complex APIs. But let's first do a quick check. Uh, Mark, can you hear us? Hello, yes. Great, and you're, sounding, you're sounding great as well. So we will dive right into it. And before we, before we get started, I just want to remind all, everybody tuning in that if you have a question, please feel free to type that in, in, the, in the question panel in the webinar control panel, and we will be sure to address those throughout the webinar, and we will have some dedicated time towards the end for the Q&A, so please keep those questions coming. So first, as we, as we dive into this, I wanna take this time to let Mark um, introduce, us to the, introduce himself to the audience, and Mark, if you could tell us a bit about how you got started with R, as well as how you got started with Shiny, as well as your role at your at your IAH Nordic and how R has been a huge um, help in your in your daily work. So please go right ahead. Great, yeah. Uh, well, that's quite a lot there to go through. But um, yeah, um, as you may hear, I'm British and um, I've uh, been working in sort of in a digital agency since about 2007. But in uh, 2010, I moved to Copenhagen, Denmark, and uh, that's where I live and will live for the foreseeable future. Um, I'm in my uh, new house with my wife and two kids here and all that, and loving Denmark. And um, but I've been working in digital agencies uh, in the UK and Denmark, and uh, IH Nordic is uh, the one I'm really involved with now. And um, yeah, I mean, basically, I've been um, I didn't didn't hadn't used R until I moved to Denmark, and um, we were sort of working in, with Google Analytics setups quite a lot, um, but a lot of the work was just sort of technical setup of the JavaScript and things like that, and there wasn't much sort of analysis about what you do with the data afterwards. So. Um, we wanted to sort of like look at how do you actually uh, use the data afterwards. And so I started asking around some of my um, wife's friends and um, some people work at a uh, university around here doing physics. And I thought that'd be brilliant to ask. And they suggested, have you heard about R? You know, and I was like, no, I've never heard of R. What's this? And they said, this is sort of a data analysis language that you can use to uh, forecast. So my initial sort of use case was forecasting. So um, I sort of looked around the web a bit and uh, downloaded it and started playing around. And um, yeah, uh, just sort of took a few courses on Coursera. And um, yeah, sort of just sort of gently got into it through that. Um, and I've been working with Python as well and SQL and uh, JavaScript quite a lot. Um, but one of the sort of landmarks was that um, one of the sort of packages for GA at the time was called RGA and that was done by Bros Gardhammer and he actually worked at the agency that I am at now, uh, IH Nordic, and he had developed this 
GA connector to um, for his work there. And um, because he was in Copenhagen, we met up and um, yeah, so we kind of, uh, yeah, it was good to sort of uh, get involved with it that way. And then kind of like coincidentally, Shiny was being launched around that time as well. It's sort of like 2012. And I was sort of new to R and I just thought it was part of R and just sort of part of the whole thing that you had to learn. And so uh, got involved with that. And uh, yeah, and I just found Shiny to be really, really um, quick and easy to get something up and running um, and uh, yeah, get something decent looking out. And um, yeah, and it really, um, really helped in, uh, in what I was trying to do. And so maybe I should back up a bit as like, say, I've got this philosophy of, of working that we should try and work smarter and not harder. And like in an agency, you're trying to, um, you're, usually you're billed by the hour. And so if you kind of get more efficient at your work, then you um, actually are paid less, you know, on the, if you're just paid by an hour. So we're try, trying to break free from that model of uh, being valued on your work that you're doing, not on an hourly rate. And to try and help with that and to sort of help develop myself, I. Uh, took a 20% pay cut and started working four days a week um, and then dedicated that remaining day to sort of bettering myself and learning stuff. And that could be music, it could be uh, Python, it could be, and but a lot of it turned into R and Google Cloud. And that's kind of the niche that I've uh, developed over time. So um, yeah, so I guess, worked a lot with R and Shiny. Um, and then the sort of one big breakthrough thing happened was, uh, well, I had, I had a kid and I had the paternity leave. And during that time, I created the app called GA Effect, which was uh, pulling in data from Google Analytics and um, using causal impact to show the effect, effect of events um, in your Google Analytics data. And then using Shiny Dashboard as the, as the um, presentation. And then all these things kind of all came out around the same time. So I just sort of combined them all together. And I tweeted a link to it. And it kind of went viral on Twitter and all of this. And I, get, I still get lots and lots of uh, feedback about it and all of that. So that was really a sort of watershed moment where Shiny helped like increase my exposure and uh, career prospects and all of this because uh, this GA effect app suddenly blew up everywhere. And um, yeah, and maybe it's why I'm talking here today. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's it's very interesting story and the fact that you were coming in and what I'll consider a great time to learn all this because like you said, Shiny had just been released as you were learning R and learning how to use that for some of the analytics you were working on. And I know from my experience that when we're able to put some kind of sophisticated, complicated algorithm and have a shiny front end to it, it just increases engagement on your customers. And if you release it in the open, yeah, the, the whole world can play with that and see that. So it's, it's really a great story to see how you can leverage shiny to maybe get a bigger audience for the analytics you're working on and also making sure that they can get the key interactions with the data, the results and everything like that. So I'm definitely fascinated by that. And um, we were talking just before we started recording that 
you had released a really excellent tutorial about how to get set up with a lot of this technology that you've been working on so that all of us would have the tools to produce a powerful shiny at the links to some of the packages you're working on. And that was, when I saw that, I was really inspired by it because it does show that with just some technical investment in terms of learning these these frameworks, you can put a really sophisticated application in front of the world or your audience, whoever that happens to be. So Absolutely, and I think a lot of it is about, because I'm working in an agency, um, and it's a lot about communication of uh, data trying to get sort of um, useful information out of data. And a lot of these people like are not professional programmers or even analysts, they just need the headlines. Um, so Shiny for me is really uh, good in the way that it kind of democratizes that information for everyone. You don't have to sit there with code, not just data scientists who can pull out this sort of effect model or causal inference or anything like that you can communicate that straight away to users but then give them a little bit of interactivity so that they can um add their own data and sort of play around with dates so you're not sort of having to handhold them all the time uh, to do that i mean one of the all i'm very pragmatic actually in all the packages that i'm using and making is that i need this stuff for work so um i'm really sort of solving my own problems um, when I'm releasing this stuff, um, but hopefully helping other people solve their problems as well. Yeah, in yeah. fact, that was actually motivation for my next question is that I wanted to dive into some of the details behind this collection of packages you've been making that a lot of them do have interesting hooks with Shiny itself. And as you mentioned, you've been learning a lot and working with the kind of the Google suite of analytics, APIs and things like that. So it does sound like you were quite motivated to share those and maybe you could expand on some of the other motivations you've had for assembling this uh, group of packages together like you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it is uh, enlightened self-interest in that um, if I'm working, I think the best way to make good software is to have a lot of people using it. So, um, and definitely it's, it's helped me that a lot of people are using these packages and then feeding back on the bugs and you know helping improve the thing overall um but uh, i mean it's also nice to sort of give back <laughs> to from what you're doing um and um yeah just sort of it's really it's really cool to get those messages um about oh you know i've been using this to do that and using this to do this and it's it's really um motivating um to get those messages and um and keeps us going on um yeah, and um, yeah, and you can basically tell what I'm kind of working on at work because a new feature will suddenly appear in the packages, perhaps, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, like when Google Language R came out, that's because I was, I was doing quite a lot of text mining and things at the time. So, um, yeah, I wanted to get that out. But also, Google like make this kind of uh, easier to do because um, they sort of. Um, they standardize a lot of their API stuff. So what Google have is this discovery API. And, um, and that's kind of been, um, I started off with just the one package, which was search console R, which is pulling in data, which is useful for SEO and things like that. Um, and then partly on the back end of the GA effect uh, going viral, I got accepted onto the uh, Google Development Expert program, thanks to my ex-colleague Simo. 
Ahava, who's like a giant in digital analytics world. Um, and he, he kind of recommended me for the program. So I'm, you know, great, really grateful to him. And, um, and because I'm on that program, I got early access to the Google Analytics API that was coming out version four. And this was kind of like six months before it was public. So I needed a way to work with this um, Google Analytics uh, new API, but had to do it privately. So, it, so Google Analytics R was actually a private package for quite a long time whilst we're um, playing with the API and a lot of feedback to the developers about how to make it easier to work with and things like that. So it has kind of helped develop um, the API in general. Interesting point. And it seems like a lot of these working with the Google APIs is making sure the users are able to get set up effectively, but also whether they're making a shiny app or just working with R in general, how yeah. do you get everything connected to that? And that's where yeah. I learned about your really fundamental package Google Author. This is exactly, really sophisticated. Yeah. And I wanted you to maybe expand upon what are some of the technical challenges you've had to overcome to create a package like this and be able to hook this functionality with the rest of your packages in this suite that we've been talking about so that users can quickly create a shiny app that takes advantage of these interesting APIs. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Search Console R and Google Analytics R were sharing the same authentication method. And that was originally based on Google Sheets by Jenny Bryan, who um, uh, a lot of the code sort of came from. But then when I tried to do it in Shiny, the authentication flow, then the first time I did it, oh, it works. And I gave it to a user and um, they could see the previous user's data, <laughs> which was not good. <laughs> so uh -oh. um, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. not a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the thing is, is that the HTTR, which um, is the sort of, you know, basis for everything on this, um, it, it, um, it uses authentication tokens and it kind of assumes that you're working in, uh, in your same environment all the time. And with Shiny, you've got a different R session sort of starting up each time. And so you can't use sort of the cache tokens or anything like that because it will it'll give access to previous things. So, I mean, my R skills then were a lot worse than they are now. So I'm, uh, I was just hacking my way through uh, how to get this working because I really needed it working because I had like, um, I had like 50 reports that I had to uh, show in a, in a Shiny app where the user could log in themselves and then pick their user. But um, yeah, I, I had, so I had a pragmatic need. I needed this to be done. And certain challenges were, um, I mean, what basically happens is that you're starting a new Shiny session when the person comes back from the Google authentication screen. So mm -hmm. you have to somehow communicate the, the off token back to that new Shiny session so that um, it recognizes it's the, it's the right person to do so. Um, so that was, uh, you had to construct the URL and um, make sure you had good security as well, because, you know, this is people's data. So having a random string in there to make sure that it's all secure. Um, and, um, and then it also, it kind of depend, depended. So I got it working locally and I thought, brilliant. And then published to um, Shiny uh, apps.io and it didn't work. Um, and that was because um, Shiny apps.io had, um, uh, they, were, they didn't have the same URL that the app was looking at a different URL than the one that the user saw on the screen. Oh, interesting. So, because so, it was in a Docker container, so it thought it was local host, but um, 
the user was seeing another one. So that so that didn't work. And then but then uh, they were really good in sort of helping um, sort that out. So I think it was Andy uh, ShinyApps.io who helped help me through that. And so there's a little bit of sort of extra code if you're on Shiny Apps, then it will do something else slightly to get the URL um, and things like that. But there's a, there's actually quite a lot of ways to authenticate. I mean, really, you only need like when the user authenticates himself if you're interested in their data coming back. But then there's all this sort of other sort of ways you can authenticate with just JavaScript, um, and that's kind of what you know I use quite a lot myself these days. Is just do it all client side in the shiny uh, JavaScript, and, and it all runs in JavaScript, and that gives you the token. Or we can do it server side with R, and um, use and it relies on the URL. But then very recently, um, well, last year, Joe um, he uh, Joe Cheng of uh, Shiny, he um, showed a way of actually you can create the UI from a function. Oh so, yes. Yes. So what? So he showed a sort of proof of concept on how to you could use that to generate the URL itself. So the very latest part, latest version of Google Author now includes that method. And um, I think that's the sort of superior way going forwards um, to actually, so the UI is generated via a function. So you can sort of modify the UI um, before the user sees it. So what you do is when someone logs in straight away, you show them a UI where they have to log in with a big login button. And then when they log in and, and they're coming back, then you modify the UI to show the, the actual app. That sounds so, really promising. And yeah. as I, I pulled up the page here to, to, again, highlight the really good documentation you've made around your packages. And one technique I really like, and this may be a part of that, what you just mentioned, is that you're exposing through your package these custom shiny modules so that we don't have to reinvent the UI ourselves, so to speak, every time. We can simply Absolutely. tap yeah. into these. And a lot of people, a lot of people I work with at work, they'll make this interesting like little shiny app that could be used in different places. And my first feedback to them is, you should make a package out of this so we all can use this as a module. And I've those that listened to this before know that I'm a big fan of modules. So I was really pleased when you took that initiative um, very quickly, it looked like to, to put this in modules. I just wonder if you could expand on um, what the development of that has been looking like and which ones in particular do you think would be most accessible for those that are new to exposing, say, a piece of Shiny through a module? What could they learn from some of the work that you've done here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, modules really solved the problem for me. Um, Basically, I'm trying to make these apps as, as little code as possible and um, common tasks, which I always had was I need a login button or I need to pick the Google Analytics view and things like that. So it seemed a completely natural fit to uh, make use these modules because these modules sort of came out as I was developing this and um, I was like, brilliant, let's do it. Um, and I'm surprised, I don't, do you know, Eric, any other sort of packages that have shiny modules? Because I've not sort of come across many. There's, there's been a few out there. Um, they're definitely um, not trying to do as much in scope as this, but I know um, Ian Little has released a package early on that was almost like a proof of concept of modules. There's been a couple others here and there from um, some of the other UI developer 
um, set of packages, but it has not been mainstream yet. So I'm kind of right, hoping right, that yeah. more shiny authors start to take that on because I think it's really promising. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And so basically, I just when I was making my own shiny um, apps, I was starting to copy and paste a lot from sort of older ones. And as soon as you start doing that, that's kind of like you should make a function, right, or something like that. And that's kind of, and that's kind of what my the motivation behind the modules were is that to, yeah, you rather than you just have one line there to call all of this sort of uh, shiny logic behind it. So I think um, I've got quite deep into modules because now um, in Google Analytics, I've got this GA models function, which generate is a function factory for models. Um, so, but I would say, yeah, if you kick, stick on, yeah, so we got these ones, but if you're look, yeah, if you're looking to, I mean, you might have to go in the code because I don't think, mm -hmm. um, the, if you go on the GitHub, but sure, the, sure. um, I think just the, if you do the Google analytics, uh, profile picker is the most simple one to sort of learn from because, I see. um, okay. because it's, um, it's basically a table which uh, is downloaded. And then mm -hmm. the the shiny inputs is like choosing the sort of hierarchical um, way of picking your. There's a, an account which is a super category of a web property, which is a super category of a view, and it sort of drop drills down so that you can pick the right view uh, to collect your data. So I think Excellent. that one's a good one. That's a good one to sort of start learning from because um, it's like uh, doing. And but then like um, yeah, if you look at the auth one. Um, all of the um, off uh, buttons, basically, in uh, yes, off yes. Art, they they all have a shiny module because a lot a lot of them, some of them when it's server side, the more of the code is in the server section mm -hmm, of it. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the JavaScript ones, a lot more of the code is in actual JavaScript, which is um, and that's in the inst folder, and it loads in JavaScript and loads that into the shiny app. And so it's much more complicated in the um, on the UI side, right? So the, right. You see what I mean? So this this one mm -hmm. here on the screen, the Google Auth, is um, that's a sort of server side one. So there's more shine, more R code in that one. Whereas mm -hmm. if you were looking at Google Sign In module, that would be a lot more um, JavaScript based. I see. So that's a that's a good good um, balance there because some application is going to require the use of JavaScript more fully for various reasons, and then yes. others we can tap into more of the server side. So yeah, we will definitely put links to all this in the in the notes when we post this episode on, on the shinydevseries.com site. Um, but I add to one thing I've been looking for is I've been using modules more for a lot of my apps at work and also in some of my open source efforts is finding these examples to we all can learn from each other. And so this is this is a great set of examples here. Great. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, and then, and, um, and, and where it's ended up now is that um, I'm always on this quest to make it as simple as possible for people to get these things up and running. And now I'm trying to get to someone who's like very basic R user, but they want to create a shiny app. And um, so this is where the sort of GA models, um, there's a sort of page on the website if you can find it uh, for the Google yep. Analytics are. But the um, and the geo models it asks you to send in a function to collect the data, send in the function to do the modeling, and then send in the function to do the output. And then once it's got it in that sort of prepackaged example, so you see the top example there. To get a yep. shiny module out, you just need a few lines of code, and you can distribute this to people who can only run that code, say, and don't want to get involved with 
more functions or something like that. Because my target audience for a lot of this is um, people who don't use R professionally. They're just using R to yeah, quickly get results um, and, and they're comparing it with other tools out there uh, where they've got web UIs and things like that. So um, it's really time to insight is, is the sort of um, thing I had to minimize as much as possible. So I'm hoping that um, we can get more and more of these examples uh, in this format and then be able to distribute. It's a way of distributing the examples that what of what the package can do. Um, and yeah, and if you scroll down a little bit more, maybe, yeah, because it's in that, that sort of set um, uh, format, then you can actually create a shiny app. You can embed it in a tweet as well and things like that. Interesting. But, but if you scroll down a little bit more, yeah. It, it, it is a, it is a shiny uh, example down yep. at the bottom, I think. Then, um, yeah, and it's kind of my kind of best practice in for for um, APIs in shiny modules. Um, one of the sort of first things I say is um, make sure that your data is in a reactive object and you're not trying to call that API every time someone changes something on shiny, because definitely the biggest um, bottleneck for um, uh your shiny module will be the api call because that is going to take you know seconds compared to microseconds um for all the other shiny stuff and one of the big yeah. one of the big sort of benefits of shiny is it's so responsive people really think it's fast when they're like using it and you, you compare it to sort of tableau or or the other or other sort of products online it just feels very snappy which is one of its big selling points i think so you Absolutely. Have to, We've got, yeah. I've gotten that feedback from my customers as well. And we want to make sure that as we're structuring these applications, we are taking advantage of not reprocessing something a certain amount of times when we can avoid it having one time to process it, like you said, maybe exactly. caching results from an API and then feeding that downstream to all your output reactors or other output objects. Exactly. So and, and because it's it, a while to learn that though. You have to go through <laughs> it a couple of times to yeah, really understand absolutely. it. Absolutely. But because I've always had, because I've been using Shiny for these sort of applications, that has always been a big motivator for me for the packages is to get that speed of response. So things like batching, making trying to fetch as many um, results at the same time. Um, Google Analytics R actually fetches five API calls at once using um, a sort of new feature of the V4 API. So it actually fetches 50,000 results at once compared to sort of 10,000. Uh, from the older API. And then um, I use the memoise, I never said that out loud, memoise package um, to do caching in it. So if you request exactly the same information, then it will read it from, a, from your RAM or from a file rather than making another API call. And that's all motivated by making shiny dashboards as quick as possible. Because, um, yeah, you can't be sitting there waiting for lots of data to load. Um, when you when it's a dashboard situation well at least i don't want to yeah so. i've had that same situation <laughs> i'll make these analytical type dashboards and the users of that are typically pretty high level executives and the last thing they want to do is look at a output that's kind of grayed out and not doing anything exactly. right 10 seconds they yes. want to make sure they're spot on yeah. so it's broken I, yeah <laughs> yes, exactly exactly yeah, we're, we're going to we're having a couple more questions for you. And I want to remind the audience that if you have questions for Mark, please go ahead and type those into the question panel or in the chat and we'll make sure to address those. Um, 
But yeah, we talked about a little bit about kind of having this kind of streamlined interface for these dashboards so that you're using the API effectively. Um, now, I'll admit my experience has not been so much with the, the, the Google type APIs. I've been working with some of the other more traditional APIs or maybe the lower, more basic ones. But one thing I've always wondered about is to take an approach like what you're doing with the shiny apps that you've been making based on the Google Auth R and all this other, all the other suite of packages is you're letting the user authenticate to it with their own basically login credentials or API credentials, yeah. at least making that as efficient as possible. Is that a concept that other APIs could, t or those shiny developers that want to wrap an API could take advantage of instead of using say their own API credentials or do you have any thoughts about that? Um, so you mean if you're say like calling, a, well, I think the OAuth 2 system is, um, is something that you can replicate for, so the Google system uses OAuth 2. So sure. any, AP, any API that uses OAuth 2, you should be able to do a similar thing with. Yeah, I've always wondered, yeah, maybe I'll work on maybe finding an example or trying that out myself um, because, you know, even you have your own, like you have an API for the Google Analytics R to kind of get started, but you also mentioned in documentation, you're going to make a lot of calls. Please, please use your own API, you know, credentials. Yes. <laughs> oh, I so. see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, well, that's something that, yeah, you, you can set that in the um, in the code, and that's something that I think is developer side to do because um, yeah, uh, I think if you're if you're an end user for the um, for the package, there's different sort of concepts of um, projects, and this is sort of a, a common thing is that you've got the project where the API runs through, which is the just sort of and it doesn't actually but it doesn't actually access the data. It can only, you can only sort of see an a API call is made, but you can't you don't have access to that data, and that's mm -hmm. that's taking care of the client IDs and secrets and things like that. And then the end user has maybe their own project, which is uh, authentication. And so what you can do is get people to upload their authentication key, so it, and it's more like a JSON key rather than going through the OAuth two flow. And that means that they would then be using their own Google Cloud project to uh, make the calls. Um, but typically, I would say the easiest way to do it would be to have, yeah, if you're doing it internally within a website, within your company, then I think have one, one um, Google Cloud project or the equivalent um, with the which where all the api things go through but then distribute the email the service email for that project to your users uh, that sure. you want to use it that would be uh yeah because um because otherwise each user has to sit there and set up the redirect and sort of various sort of settings on the google console end which is a bit less user-friendly i think and it's yeah. actually a it's actually a debate at the moment and there's been a recent twitter poll um, about whether I should include a default um, Google Cloud project with the package, um, and maybe I should like get people to use their own um, Google Cloud console uh, credentials all the time, and so increase the sort of ramp on for users that they have to download this. And it's actually looking like people prefer that from the <laughs> from the results. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm, it's, I'm it's a tricky situation to navigate, right? I mean, you want to mm. make it so it's easier for people to get started with the package, but at the same exactly. time, you want to make it so you're not breaking somebody's account, like your own or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I keep I keep applying for increases, and uh, so I mean it's not it's, it only comes up every kind of year. But yeah, we've recently hit the limit of a hundred thousand calls a day, which is ridiculous. So wow. um, <laughs> it's just like yeah, but I think that's probably someone using it in production, you know. And uh, maybe I should limit. Um, you should say don't use it in production. Maybe only yeah. use it in or something. Yeah, I think, yeah, I just have to maybe be more upfront about when this could potentially be a problem. But I, at the same time, it's great to see that people are taking advantage of it, right? I mean, sure, it's, sure. it's great it's to brilliant. Back, Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So I, I nag people with a with a message that people obviously ignore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes, yeah, it just goes in one ear and out the other sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you've 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 shared a lot of awesome insights. I think the the question I'll kind of wrap up before we go to the Q and A is, um, is you've been working with these APIs, order from Google or even some of the other frameworks you've been working with. If you had advice for someone that's maybe new to Shiny and they see something they want to wrap as a Shiny app that talks to an API. What are some best practices or other tips you might recommend for somebody that wants to take this challenge on, whether it's for a work project or just want to learn by doing? What are some of the things you've learned along the way that could help them get started effectively with that? Yeah, so I mean, definitely um, logging is a, a really big thing. Um, I Because authentication uh, bugs are really annoying in that they sometimes just say 400 didn't work and there's sort of like 20 different moving parts that it could be related to. So did I put the right port in? Did I put the URL right? Did I, am I sort of authenticating the right scope? You know, all of these different things. So having really good logging is um, a prerequisite, I would say. And, um, but then, so I did a lot of logging, but then um, I had too much logging for when it was all working. So I've, um, there's these packages where you can sort of set the level of logs um, and I've got sort of, a, sort of a version of myself but basically set a level where you get enough information back that it's useful but not not too much that it's annoying all the time but then when you need it and you have problems then you um, can set the log level so that you can see everything that's going on um, and I've even recently even created that where you actually, it, if you go to logging level zero, it'll actually print, um, it'll write the response and request to an object in your R session. So you can inspect exactly what was sent and what was coming back. And that was um, just to make sure that it's everything that you expected. That's so interesting. That's, yeah. yeah. That, that actually relates to one of the questions I see came through is, is that also helpful for how you might gracefully handle when the API gives an error in Shiny? Maybe it's a, a quota, you know, being out over yes. that or things like that. Yeah. Is the logging mechanism a way you'd handle that too? Absolutely. I mean, and you have to design to fail because every API will fail. I mean, um, you know, it's just the internet. It will fail. <laughs> yep. So, um, it's not 100% so uptime, folks. Yeah. Maybe 99. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to have like try catch loops or your, or the equivalent to handle sort of the most common errors that are doing that. And yeah, 
I mean, try catch the documentation for that in R is ridiculously, you know, obscure. <laughs> so I've had to rely, <laughs> had to rely on uh, examples uh, from other people. I think Henrik uh, Bergetson of um, the Future Package, he helped me the most with try catch. Um, but yeah, try catch is my friends now, definitely, because then you can read the message that comes back. In some cases, all it needs is a retry. You can just, okay, we'll just try again. In some cases, you shouldn't retry because um, it can cost you money, you know, if you keep sitting there retrying. So, right, um, right. Yeah, you have to um, deal with each error as it comes. Definitely. Yeah, that, that's great advice too. Um, so I'm going to take a quick scan. Um, I don't, I haven't seen anything come through my way over to that last question. Uh, Curtis, did you see any of questions come your way yet? So I make sure I didn't miss it. Okay, I don't see any yet, um, but I, Sorry, I do we, have. We we yeah, do have a couple. Did, did you see the questions? Uh, no, I'm not seeing them for some no, reason. No, actually, I don't see questions. No. Well, I, I guess uh, one of the questions here is, um, you know, where did you learn to create uh, these great packages in such short? This is kind of a question for people kind of starting out doing uh, um, packages shiny development work sorry can you repeat that it went a bit choppy there for a second sure yeah where did you learn to create packages like these in such short a period of time uh you know i guess kind of where did you start to uh, uh yeah start uh, yeah well definitely i read hadley's book from front to cover uh the making packages um online book and i basically just worked sat there with search console r and um i mean packages a lot of it is just boilerplate actually you just have to put the folders in the right place and, and that kind of thing. So once you've got your functions sort of all sorted out, uh, make sure they're in the right folder and then use, and then follow that book to the letter basically. And I just <laughs> sat there until, <laughs> until, it, until it worked. And then use the R command check a lot to, um, to help with, um, yeah, all the little notes that come up. Um, but uh, the reason I had quite a high output for quite a while, but you know, I haven't done that recently because basically the maintenance of these packages takes up all of the time that um, I would be spending on making a new package. Um, I could do more packages, but just looking after these ones is, you know, kind of full-time open source free time in, in what itself. So that's something I didn't expect. And, um, and it's one reason I'm trying to create a sort of community around these packages so that people can kind of help in this kind of thing. So I started a Slack group and things like that. Yeah, that's a great point. You have been trying to be proactive on that and getting a, mm. a network of community together. In fact, I even applied to join the Slack group myself as I start to use this more often. But I think a lot of package authors should maybe think about that as not just releasing it out and then just kind of letting it be there, but there's yes. maintenance involved to make sure that your users are getting you know, responsive feedback if they submit bug reports, but also making sure they're involved in decisions you make going forward or the future direction of the package goes. I don't think yeah. that gets talked about quite enough. Absolutely. To be and, and the documentation is more than 50% of the work, I would say, easily. Um, the documentation for me is like what actually sets R apart from a lot of other languages. I mean, if you do this, the equivalent in Python for Google Analytics, you just get the read the, read the code docs. Code is self-documenting. You know, work it out yourself. So, so, and it's just like, you know, thanks a lot. 
when you compare that to the sort of our community around packages, I think that's uh, a really strong um, argument for using R rather than Python in a lot of these things. But um, yeah, I slowed down, but the, the real sort of um, reason I could crank out so many was that this discovery API that I talked about earlier, where you can, there's a function in Google Authar called discovery API, I've forgotten it now, <laughs> discovery API, and it'll actually create a skeleton of a package for you based on the, um, yeah, if you scroll down, is this, yeah, uh, if you scroll down a bit, discovery, there we go, those ones. So if you click on that link there, you can maybe see the list of all the APIs that Google offers. And oh, there's like there's like 150 of them. So so for wow. instance, for like um, Google Language R, I could um, request that with that function. It would build the functions for me, build the documentation, uh, build the objects, and then I just have to sort of fill in the blanks and do the documentation. <laughs> so all of that. So it's not kind of like all over, but it's definitely a really good way of getting started. And um, I know, you know, there's some APIs on this list I really would like to do, do, but I just don't have the time to do. But I know some other people now in the Slack group are starting to use that to um, uh, create more packages. So there's um, Google Cloud Vision R, which is coming out soon, which I think is um, half based on that. And um, there's this Google Auto ML tables by, um, I think Justin is working on that at the moment. And um, but, because Google is releasing stuff, you know, like 20 things a month. It's ridiculous to try and keep up with all this stuff. Yeah, it's almost impossible, right? <laughs> it's just impossible. But, you know, it does re it's really exciting to work with because you've got, you can always be working on something new. So, um, yeah, but you kind of got to sort of, does it fit in with my workflow as well? So. But, yeah, I would love to make more packages, but honestly, yeah, I mean. Well, if uh, yeah. one... If someone is interested in helping you out, either you know as a contributor contributing code or as a sustainer helping with you know all the other parts of package maintenance, what what's your suggestion for them to uh, kind of get in touch with you on the Slack group? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, join the Google Author the Slack, uh, which is on the website somewhere, and. Um, do github issues i think one one thing that i'm trying to do instead of making packages is actually contribute more upstream so contribute to the packages that i rely on um because that's actually more intimidating than making your own package because your own package is your own little kingdom right you can sit there and not worry about the code and you know all this and if you're contributing to someone else's it's sort of you feel oh you know are they going to like the flavor of my uh, you know comments or something like that but don't worry about that for, for especially I'm, I'm sure for them it's the same but for me i don't you know please contribute it i will con anything you do is highly highly appreciated um documentation is like as i said it takes like 50 percent of the work if you can just like correct a spelling mistake it's highly appreciated so um at any level or you know a completely different function that you know blows the mind out of uh, <laughs> your google analytics <laughs> or something like that so yeah any, that, any that's well called? said we will we will put all the links to how they can get in touch with like you said the slack group and the various package sites so that they can easily get in touch with you about that yep. we we almost certainly can't get through all the questions but do you have time for a few more questions from the question list sure yeah, yeah cool. um, I wish I could see them, Curtis. I can't see them. No, so I'll I can't see them. Yeah. 
I'm just relying. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as another question, um, so yeah, how, how do you create user authentication for accessing Plumber API? Or so, for example, Plumber API or Excel VBA, uh, for example, on RStudio Connect. So, sort of, sort of a question about user authentication using these APIs uh, when it's deployed uh, via Connect or something. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> uh, if I, if I had to venture a guess, there they would probably have to get into details about using HTTR for how you can link that to an API for authentication with, like I, you mentioned earlier, like OAuth two or other techniques. Yeah, I, think, like that, I, don't, I think you can't. I think I've had this question before. Um, you can't do it by OAuth two because I don't see how that would work for a Plumber API. I would use a service a service authentication, but I can't see. I can. Yeah, I would actually. If you want authentication for an API, then I would, from a Google point of view, use Google Cloud Endpoints, which mm -hmm. um, is a service that gives you um, authentication options. And you can use Plumber to generate a Swagger file, which will uh, is compatible with um, Cloud Endpoints. And then Cloud Endpoints is a service that you can set uh, this endpoint needs authentication and things like that. Uh, I haven't done it myself, so I can't sort of talk from experience, but that's the route I would look at. Let's leave that. And then uh, another question, um, touching on some of the points you had mentioned before uh, dealing with API errors uh, and you know try catch um, do you have advice for gracefully handling uh, API errors in in your shiny application and I think the specific context is you know a lot of people will uh, develop a shiny app that that seems to work they deploy it then they share it and then something happens in the future that starts to trigger some of these API mm. you know exceeding um, do you do you have an advice or a pointer to kind of best practices for dealing with those yeah, types of? Yeah, I mean, if it is if it is a genuine error, you usually want to raise it, you know, like a five hundred, you know. But if you want to be more graceful in that, what you can do is if you return null um, in your try catch loop, and then you've got the require, um, and it's all in a reactive object, and then if you're doing require at the top of your um, dependencies on that. Uh, object, then you will get a sort of graceful error mess. Um, you won't get the big red text, you'll get the text, the gray text, which is sort of loading or something like that, which require or um, what's what was the thing before require? REQ, -E you know that one? REQ and obviously validate need as well, but yeah. And validate need, yeah, that was the first one, yeah. And yep. that, one, that one you could use to customize the message um, so that you can have a kinder uh, error message when things are going awry. So return null in your try catch loop if you really do not want do want to suppress the error, and um, and then use those uh, rec or validate needs to make a nice message. Cool. And um, just yeah. So we won't have time to hit all the questions. And and also just in case I didn't quite capture the uh, the essence of the question in my pair when I paraphrased it. I'll be sure to carry all this over to our studio community um, after um, after the webinar uh, and email it out to the full Shiny Dev. Yeah, um, I can answer so, more questions on that on the forum, no problem. Yeah. Sounds great. Cool, and yeah, I should pass it off back to, to Eric. Well, this has been a real pleasure to get to know your your insights, Mark, on the, the suite of these packages and the issues you've navigated to make sure that it's a robust experience and 
really the potential or what you can do with these. I think it's a great showcase of how far we can take Shiny when we link it to these innovative and you know very sophisticated services with investment in time, sure. But then when we have people like you make these great packages for us, it gets gets us a lot easier to get involved for sure. <laughs> so well, we thank very, you very much, much for appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And um, for those that want to keep up with what you're developing, what would be the best uh, channels for them to follow your work? Uh, I'm, I'm an avid Twitter user. Um, so I tweet at least everything there. And, um, but, and I blog on the, on the blog there. So um, when, I, when I get around to it every few months, I uh, try and uh, talk about what I'm doing on, on there. So, yep, uh, I really enjoy your blog. You do some great write-ups about what we can do with R in a lot of these uh, packages. So I highly recommend it, that reading. It's, it's really my niche at the moment. It's like how to scale R on Google Cloud Platform. That's kind of where I've ended up at the moment. So um, it's been it's been fun. Um, and then yeah, if you if you like codes, then follow me on uh, GitHub maybe or something like that. Um, or just write me an email. I mean, uh, I'm happy to answer emails. <laughs> Great. Well, we'll put the link to your GitHub profile and your blog in, in the post. And one little housekeeping item before we, we uh, turn off the light, so to speak, is that um, we've gotten some feedback from the audience. Um, for those that maybe can't always watch the video, but they kind of want to listen to the audio of the episodes on the go, I am proud to announce that as of earlier this week, we not only have the video recordings that you can get on the YouTube channel and link through shinydevseries.com, we also have audio feeds as well. And they are now available on at least three of our major uh, podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, cool. Google Play, and Pocket Cast. And we're adding more as we speak. So that was, we wanna make sure that the content here is digestible and accessible through a lot of different means. So. You, the audio version, if you'd like to have that, it's it's all yours for the taking now. And we'll be adding those as we go forward. And you can also get um, through this site. We also have direct link to the sign up page for the future webinars. And we also have a snapshot of the upcoming webinars here on this page as well. Um, our next one will be in August with uh, David Grangen to talk about the R interface project and a lot of the packages he's made around that. Um, but as Curtis mentioned, we will have a dedicated post on the RStudio community portal for this particular session with Mark. And we would love for you to keep the discussion going and we will make sure we monitor that and provide answers as best we can. Um, so that that's from my housekeeping standpoint. Uh, Curtis, do you have any other remarks you wanna leave us with before we sign off? No, I think that was great, thanks a lot. All right, well, you, um, again, well, my thanks to Mark for joining us. Um, Really in, in great insights, and we hope to obviously keep up with your efforts and see what you're working on in the future. And again, please feel free to reach out to Curtis and myself if you have feedback about the webinars and the developer series. And we are definitely um, looking to make it as best as we can. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode, and we'll see you next time in August. Thanks a lot for joining, everybody.